Hello and welcome back to They Arrived as Aztecs, a podcast all about Aston Villa women, brought to you by Under a Gaslit Lamp. We've got so much to talk about from the month of January, and not all of it is good, unfortunately. This will be a bumper episode, and depending on how it goes, we may do these bumper episodes monthly, with how often fixtures are changing in the Women's Super League at the moment. You know, a lot of games are being called off uh, due to COVID, due to bad weather, so rather than missing games out in our podcast we think we're going to cover it on a month-to-month basis uh until the end of the season and and if it works we might continue that into the next season um or go back to a normal kind of fortnightly or every three week schedule it's a shame because we won't be covering aston villa's recent win against tottenham hotspur but if you want to reflect on that, you'll just have to wait until uh, our February kind of roundup podcast comes out. I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined today by Georgia. Hello. It's good to be back and having a catch up about how Villa have kicked off 2021. Um, it's It's been a difficult month for us, you could say, but I'm ready to jump in and hopefully pull out a few positives. <sighs> Let's take it back to the start of January then, when Aston Villa women signed Japan international Mana Iwabuchi. She's a former Women's World Cup winner uh, in an already 13-year-long career. Iwabuchi's represented four clubs across two nations before arriving at Aston Villa. She made her debut in the L-League for Nippon TV Beleza at the age of just 14, where she'd remain until she was 19. And then a spell in Germany would follow, where she where she moved to Hoffenheim in the uh, second Frauen Bundesliga in a two-year spell, uh, and then and then she moved to Bayern Munich, and obviously Bayern Munich, huge German club, German giants. And at Bayern, she'd be part of the squad that won the Frauen Bundesliga twice before she cut a two-year contract extension short to return to Japan to focus on recovering from an injury. With over 70 appearances for her national team and over 130 during her spells across four clubs, the Japan captain is vastly experienced at both international and club level in both her native Japan and Europe. Georgia, what are your thoughts on Iwabuchi signing? You know, it's only the last podcast that we had when we were kind of discussing the need for a marquee signing. And whilst whilst Mana isn't perhaps as, as known as some of the American players in the league, she's still a massive coup for the club. Yeah, I think it's really exciting and honestly I'm just so glad she picked us. I think it just it shows the vision that 
the the staff and the, the club have got. I mean, yeah, she's not a famous name in the same way that other recent Super League signings are, you know, your your Morgans and your Bronzes. But I quite like that, even though, you know, she's she's won a World Cup and she is captain for Japan, her country. People in this country, they, they might underestimate her. I'm pretty sure they'll be quick to amend those estimations, you know, following the instant impact she had. Um, obviously, her, her debut as a substitute was in a game that was already out the window. Um, but in her first full game against Reading, she got a goal and an assist. So she got us that point almost single-handedly, um, a point that I think was really important, you know, being sandwiched between two really tough games. She brought positivity to our January and she didn't allow us to fall into a run of losses on the bounce. So I'm in complete agreement with you. I think she's a huge sign-in. So well done to Davies and Aluko and anyone else at the club who was involved in getting her on board. Um, how about you? How excited are you to have a, have a big sign-in at our club? Well, I, I can't say I, uh, I was aware of her or very aware of her before she signed but it is very much a statement signing like we've said um and i think you know she had interest from a load of other clubs across the world so the fact that uh aluko and davies and and the rest of the team have managed to convince her to come to uh the banksy stadium is is obviously a massive massive deal uh something i do want to do do want to ask you is are you all surprised that she's the only kind of incoming for for january or did you expect a couple more signings i'm not sure i think um you know we've we've got a big squad with heavy rotation at the moment and we're still sort of figuring out what the the strongest side is um so i'm i'm hoping as well that one big signing will bring out the best in our our existing players you know we had quite a lot of incomings over the last summer um you know before this season started and maybe we haven't seen their full potential yet so um you know have, having one extra player um I'm just I'm just hoping we'll we'll see a full team transformation from that that one signing, but we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean Iwabuchi's a statement signing for for Aston Villa women in every sense of the word. Really, she has over two hundred seventy five thousand more followers than the the club's Twitter account alone, um, and she almost mirrors signings like Trezeguet and Samata and Nakamba for the men's side. You know these signings, whilst evidently useful on the pitch, aid in growing the club in different markets. Um, um, and in the women's side, side's case, it aids in growing their stature outside of those who just watch the Women's Super League. Um, you know, I think to to have these kind of signings, and it's it's an area that I would like the men's team to address as well. We've we've kind of looked to to Africa for a lot of our, a lot of these signings that that can, whilst have an impact on the pitch, also increase your standing in these countries you know we've we've bought from zimbabwe tanzania burkina faso uh egypt and that's all well and good but i mean the asian market is huge and it's probably likely one of the reasons why uh takumi minamino joined liverpool um and it, it's been the case in the past as well with like uh park ji sung Maybe not so much uh, Son Hyung Min because of the, of the obvious talent he had before he joined Spurs, but with like Park Ji Sung, 
he was a very very useful player for Manchester United, but the, he increased their their profile in in South Korea like tenfold. So to have this kind of Japanese superstar at the club, I, I've seen with our content, it's been shared or commented on by by Japanese fans, which is absolutely huge, and it has such a kind of impact both on and off the pitch. Um, but sporting director Enia Luko had been reportedly trying to bring Iwabuchi to the club since before the Tokyo Olympics were initially postponed last year. Uh, Iwabuchi decided to stay in Japan, which was a bit of a blow for Eluko and Davies. Um, they, they'd both discussed their ad- admiration for Japanese women's football in meetings, considered Mona to epitomise the pre- precision and grace that is part of the, the lifeblood of Japan's sport. Once Iwabuchi had been convinced via a Microsoft Teams presentation where both Eni and Gemma discussed how she'd fit into the team, the playing and training environments and the club's long-term vision, it was all about presenting to CEO Christian Perslow about the benefits of signing this Japanese superstar. How great is it to see Perslow's continued interest and involvement in Villa Women after his initial statements from his first year in the role? Yeah, it was always good to hear from him that he was committed to improving the setup of the women's team, but it's even better to see him honouring that commitment. It was it was always his aim to turn the club into a force within the women's game and have us challenging at that highest level. But I think he's been successful in that so far. Obviously, it's, it's a long process, of course, coming from the championship, but I really appreciate more of a long-term plan. You know, the same thing we've been watching with the men's team the past few years, and I do trust him at this point. It sounds like um, he offers that balance of support and also allowing the management team their own freedom and trust in their judgments too. Um, it sounds like, you know, the, the staff at the top level, they've got a lot of good things to say about him. And I've seen more unity as well between the women's and the men's team over the past couple of years too. So I'm not sure what of that is down to him, but, you know, things like shared advertising campaigns and that are really, really nice to see. So, yeah, I think the club as a whole is, is going in such a positive direction. And um, just jumping back to that global support you mentioned, I love it so much how our club has has supporters all over the globe um and being able to have you know representatives of that within our teams as well the players it's amazing i love it <laughs> yeah it's it's absolutely great and i mean you know it can have its negative effects as as we saw when uh, samata was was loaned back to well <laughs> yeah, lo- I knew you loaned were to fenerbahce <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know, all the Tanzanian fans kind of up and left. They're, they're, they're there to support their player first and then and then the club. But, you know, it does take... Um it does take the club into new markets, and and the the potential for growth is then is then huge. But like you said, the the, the club as a whole, men's side, women's side, youth, it's all moving in such a positive direction, and it's a breath of fresh air for for Villa fans everywhere because you know we we're so used to seeing the Villa of you know twenty ten onwards where they they started to decline. Um, and you know the the women's team wasn't anything necessarily to rave about, and we weren't producing you know swathes of young talent. But now it's all changed, and it's all positive, and it's all on the up, and it's exactly what Villa fans need. Yeah, it feels sustainable as well. You know, it's not like we're having one fluke season or something. It's it's sort of something to build on as well, isn't it? Um, so yeah, things are looking up definitely. 
Absolutely. Well, let's get into the games anyway. So, uh, the first game of January came as Villa Women travelled to Bristol City's Twerton Park on January 13th for a Conti Cup quarter-final tie. Hosting a handful of changes from their last game against Spurs in December, Gemma Davies' side looked bright in the early stages of the tie. You know, Diana Silva consistently looked to break forward and, and make strides in the opposition box. And, and for the open t- opening 20 minutes or so, Villa were cutting through Bristol quite consistently. Um, they could have taken the lead as Emily Syme squared a one-on-one opportunity to Petzelberger, but her pass was overhit in the end. Um, perhaps the best opportunity of the half came to Diana Silva, who was denied really at point-blank range by a stunning save. Um... Sean Rogers was forced into an excellent save herself just after the half-hour mark as former villain Ebony Salmon raced clear of Anita Asante, but her shot was thwarted by Rogers' outstretched foot and was poked wide of the goal. Roger, that was a key save from Rogers, and and you know I'm I'm quite shocked that we've not seen as much of her this season. You know uh, Lisa Voice is a, is a, is an excellent keeper, but surely Rogers deserves more of a chance. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because they're both talented, and they've both had some difficult games this season. I like Sean Rogers. She's only 22, I think, and hopefully she stays with us and irons out some of those nervy moments, you know, those little mistakes, and she can be fighting for that number one spot again. I am a bit surprised we haven't seen more of her. Um, she, she was the keeper that got us here. Um, I'm thinking maybe that step up to this league and the experienced players that we keep coming up against might be what's pushing the manager towards Vice. Um, she's She's got that experience in Europe and internationally. Um, and that's one of the great things about the Cups is, is that you get to see both keepers and she gets that opportunity. She has had moments of brilliance as well, like the save you just mentioned. Um, so it would be good to see her back in the league sometime soon. And we've struggled a bit with conceding goals recently. So why not throw her back in for a game and see what she can do? Absolutely. And there's been there's been cases over the past couple of couple of months or couple of weeks where, where Vice has looked you know, looked like she's struggling. Maybe she's picked up a knock in a game and, and it's almost like we're just reluctant to kind of change anything when it comes to the goalkeeper in the WSL. So it, it is interesting, um, and we, we may see we may see Rogers step, take that step up next season if we remain in the league. But it is it is one to keep an eye on. In the uh, in the second half, Villa women enjoyed much of the possession in the earlier stages and, and you know Bristol City kind of struggled to get out of their own half it would however be Bristol City that took the lead Ebony Salmon produced a fine solo attempt to open the scoring knocking the ball past Asante once more before darting forward and opening her body to strike into the top left corner leaving Rodgers unable to stretch to the ball now Villa had the opportunity to equalise almost immediately with Shania Hales having two attempts at the goalmouth, but neither of her attempts had trickled over the line. Um, and then Ebony Salmon doubled the host lead just just a minute, late, minute later as she, she broke behind a poor header near the halfway line, found herself one-on-one with Rodgers and, and rounded the Villa keeper and poked the ball into the net against her former club. Now... Salmon is is a talented player. Like Villa fans that that have been watching Villa women for you know a number of years will know this already. But she she was turning Asante inside out during this game, and it, it was quite shocking to see really because uh, Salmon's got the, the the power and the the kind of 
speed and agility in her game that perhaps Asante doesn't because she's more of a veteran of the game. Um, and it's almost like it was a targeted approach that, that, that Ebony Salmon had almost attacked towards Asante because she couldn't handle her. Yeah, it's it's possible. I think, well, the, the bottom line is the difference between the two teams were that one of them took their chances and, you know, we didn't. We had them there. Um, but, yeah, the, the pace that she had, the agility, it just, she was unmatched, really. So um, I think she would have been tough for any of our defenders to come up against. But maybe you're right. Maybe it was targeted, you know, um, Asante, she's... Well, she's not slow, but, um, you know, she's been in the game longer than, than some of the sort of younger, more energetic players. So maybe it was, um, you know, they, they picked out someone that we, would be a good match for Salmon and it, it worked. You can't deny that. So, yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about not taking our chances and, and Shania Hales was was probably the biggest culprit of that with those two chances that, that just couldn't find their way across the line. Um, and, and, you know, the management obviously saw that too. Uh, Hales was, was substituted in the 67th minute and was replaced by Stina Larson, um, whilst Diana Silva was replaced by Emma Follis as well. Um Six minutes later, and Nadine Hansen and Manu Ibuchi also both came on, and this was this was Ibuchi's uh, initial debut, uh, coming off the bench in the cup. Follis thought she'd brought a goal back with eight minutes remaining, but a shot was palmed away before the rebounded effort was cleared off the line. It was just an, it was one of those games where nothing was going right for the Villa, um, but. Bristol City's defence was finally breached with five minutes to go. Stina Larson latched onto the end of a lofted ball from deep from his meter ale and she headed it into the home side's net. And from from here on, you know, it was almost like the, the Villa had got their confidence back and despite pushing for an equaliser, they couldn't grab another and, and secure their place in, in the semi-final. And now that's that's another quarter-final exit in the County Cup. It's happened, in a, uh, I believe, two out of three years in the two times in the last three years or might might even be three times in the last three years um but do you think these cup games are, are considered important at all considering aston villa women's league position or, or do you think it's something that they're looking to prioritize in a few years time well it's always hard isn't it um getting knocked out the cup um especially when you've got that glimmer of hope as well from that late goal um you think we could snatch something stay in it um drag it on and, and maybe cling on and, and get the winner in the end. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's a real shame. But um, I do want to see us go on a cup run maybe when our Super League status is a bit more settled and our squad has been together for a bit longer. I think it's really positive and really fun to have it going alongside the league games. But it can be, you know... Um, maybe something for when we're a bit more settled and we don't have our hands full it, it probably did us a great deal of good to fly through the the group stage and to come out of that group on top um we were up against a few championship sides and managed to dominate those games which really established us as a super league side now so i think we got what we needed from the cup this year and it's only natural you'd, you'd love to see us go further but at the same time why waste our energy when we've got such an important season going on um how about you how how heartbreaking was it to sort of think oh we might be in with a chance here and then um have it all end again 
Yeah, it was it was a bit of a disappointment. You know, you'd always like your sides to do well in the cups, but it, they can prove to be an, an unwanted distraction when when you've got important things in the league going on. You know. Um, there's so much with this team that you can transplant into into the men's side as well. But going on the men, the men's side going on their Carabao Cup run uh, last season was all well and good, and you know absolutely great that we got to the final and and matched City really in that game. But it it was an added distraction and more games to play when you're trying to battle against relegation. And I think I'm much happier to see you know Villa women crash out of the cup in the quarterfinal and then stay up and remain in the WSL for another season than to go all the way to the final and then potentially lose it and and potentially get relegated off the back of that. Yeah, it's just priorities, isn't it, really? Um, it, it can be a nice distraction if your team's maybe underachieving, but I think we've got our hands full for now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, four days later, Villa women travelled to Manchester for the reverse fixture against Manchester City. Now, it took just two minutes for Manchester City women to take the lead, with Chloe Kelly found in acres of space down the right, where um, before she played a pass to the far post where the speedy Lauren Hemp was waiting to tap into Lisa Voice's net. Nadine Hansen almost levelled for Villa just five minutes later, as Steph Houghton's poor pass found Shania Hales, who raced into the box before squaring the ball to the edge of the box for for Hansen, who spurned her shot narrowly wide. A poor pass from Villa's Chloe Arthur almost almost allowed City another goal, with Kelly failing to make the most of her chance as Asante deflected her shot onto the post, but it would... It would be Jill Scott that doubled City's lead in the 16th minute as Lucy Bronze delivered an inch-perfect ball from deep, which was headed directly towards goal. Scott stayed on side, headed the ball past Vice, and, and scored her first Women's Super League goal of the season. Something I'd just like to mention is, is we know how good Lucy Bronze is. You know, she she's a Ballon d'Or winner, um, but that cross was just... Like you, you, you don't see crosses like that too often in in any level of football. It was it was a cross from deep, just past the halfway line, but it was inch perfect, right on the right on the penalty spot for uh, for Jill Scott to just head into the net. It was it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I remember talking to you um, when like at the start of the season, and we were talking about how she's one of the players that we're almost lucky to have in in playing in our league you know and she just sort of proved it doesn't she so yeah it, it was one of those sort of moments of brilliance that you just think god she's almost just levels above everyone else here <laughs> yeah you could see that at times in this game especially um by the half hour mark voice um had conceded a third um and, and obviously then manchester city were ahead by three georgia stanway beat the offside trap and ran onto Lucy Bronze's one-touch pass before racing into the Aston Villa box and firing into the net. Their fourth came from a set piece as Chloe Kelly played a corner into the box that Aston Villa's defence just didn't want to attack, it seemed. This left Lauren, Hel- Lauren Hemp free to head into the net for her brace uh, just seven minutes from the end of the half. Five minutes before the end of the half and Hemp was trying for her hat-trick, firing towards goal from a tight angle and forcing Natalie Hay to deflect the ball into the back of her own net. 
as the clock hit the 45 minute mark, I'm running out of breath here, it was 6 Lisa Voice was caught flat-footed by a bat pass, which she clipped into the path of Lauren Hemp. Hemp squared the ball centrally for Ellen White to tap into the open net. And, you know, it was a very poor first half from Aston Villa. Uh, you know, we, we expected City to win. We expected to City to win comfortably. But to be 6-0 down at half-time, you know, there's no coming back from that, really, is there? No, definitely not. Um I mean, I still have nightmares about Georgia Stanway from when we played them um, on the opening day. Um, so, yeah, th- this one just, yeah, it- it's difficult, isn't it? Difficult one to watch um, and hard to come out after that halftime as well. I can only imagine what, what that talk must have been like in the um, dressing room. Yeah, I wouldn't want- I wouldn't wanted to have been on- been on the end of that at all. The, uh, the second half started with two changes, with Chloe Arthur replaced by Alicia and Dow, and the Dean Hansen replaced by Marna Iwabuchi. Chloe Kelly could have bagged a seventh for City in the 51st minute, working her way into the left-hand side of the box before Alicia and Dow put the winger under pressure and forced her shot onto the post. The game moved into somewhat of a lull, with Man City less ruthless in their attacking overloads, um, but... It, the score, the scoring didn't stop there. Chloe Kelly finally managed to get on the score sheet ten minutes from time as she flummoxed Lisa Voice, kicking the ball between her legs as she rushed onto the ball before firing into an open net. Now we've talked many a time about avoiding embarrassing scorelines, and you know we we know how they can affect morale and and confidence. How much exactly can we take from this hefty scoreline that City imposed? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? We were so scared of Man United and then it turned out to be City that were the ones that embarrassed us. Um, They had to end it with a Meg as well, didn't they? It's just (laughs) rude. Um, But yeah, it's always, it's tough watching them kind of games and that's just as a supporter. So I can only imagine what it feels like for someone on the pitch. But I suppose we just have to remember that this is their jobs. They've had bad games before and they'll have bad games again. So... Um, one slight comfort is the fact that there have been a lot of heavy score lines this season. We're not the only ones to be on the wrong side of it. Um, confidence, it, it can do all sorts of things to a team. So it did worry me that the effects of this score might carry on um, into the game against Reading. But I just try to look at it as a bad game and just that, you know, one bad game and then start looking forward to the next one. And I guess that's how the players would have to look at it as well. You know, obviously... Um, look at their mistakes but try and leave that mentality in the past um, and and look forward to the next one but how did you see it Um, was it sort of a a bad feeling that lingered or were you ready to put it to bed um I think at half time I was I was kind of done with the game I thought you know uh, I don't really want to watch this but but I've got to because I'm doing the match report uh but yeah, I think it's just one of those one one of those games that you need to put to bed. I think you know we we've seen huge score lines in in every sport and in in every every gendered sport. You know, the it happens in men's sport, it happens in women's sport, it happens in basketball, football, the NFL, hockey, whatever you want. You want there's always a game every season that you kind of like. Oh, we've we've lost this quite heavily, and I don't know how we're going to recover. Um, 
so, and that was the initial thought that went through my head really is, is I don't know how they're going to recover from this and we've we, we've got reading after this and are we going to kind of capitulate and, and struggle from here on um, you know at this point in the season we were we were just a point or two away from the relegation zone where where Bristol City had managed to pick up some points so it was it was a worrying one but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it turned out to be evidently judging by the next game yeah yeah i definitely want to dive into that one yeah well villa returned home to the banksy stadium on the 23rd of january the game didn't start the way that head coach Gemma Davies would have wanted, with Angerad James giving Reading women the lead within the first three minutes. Reading were the side on top early on, and Lisa Voice was forced into a sublime save to deny Reading an effort from range. Villa battled well from this point, denying chances for the visitors, but, but struggling to construct chances of their own, really. Um, their first big chance of the game came in the 35th minute, as Caroline Seams attempted a ball into Emma Follis, but her pass was overhit and, and it couldn't find the Villa star. Stina Larsson came close to equalising eight minutes before the end of the half, but the Danish international was denied the opportunity. In the second half, it, it started well for Villa and, and they found themselves affecting the opposition's final third a bit more often than they did in the first. Um, and, it, and it only took ten minutes in the second half for Villa to, to net an equaliser as Marna Iwabuchi slid in at the near post to meet uh, Nat Haig's short free kick from the right to poke past Maloney in the Reading net. Uh, just a side note, happy birthday to, to Natalie Haig. It's her birthday as we record this. And, you know, that was that was a great assist. You know, it's not something you often see from a centre-back, is it? No, it, it was so well played as well. I re-watched it a couple of times and she had to be so accurate getting them between the getting the ball between the wall that was close to her and then that high defensive line um so yeah she did really well there um I'm not sure I was expecting her to be the one to take the free kick but I'm so glad she did and I want to see more of it yeah I mean initially after the goal I, I was like right in the match report and I was like who, who, who assisted this um and I had to kind of go back after the game and I realized it was Nat Haig and I was like oh, okay I thought it you know I thought it would have been one of the midfielders or you know Follis or anyone but no it, it was Nat Haig um just two minutes after Villa had equalized and Reading found themselves back ahead poor defending allowed Rachel Rowe time and space to get a shot on target which eventually found the back of the net um, a double change came 10 minutes after Reading's goal with Diana Silva and Nadine Hansen replacing Sophie Haywood and Emily Syme five minutes later and Emma Follis was replaced by Shania Hales Reading were, were put under a lot of pressure by Aston Villa women as the time tickled towards the the final whistle and, and you know Conditions were worsening while this was happening. There was there was thick snow starting to fall in Warsaw, and there's pictures available for all to see that the conditions were not great. It was heavy, heavy snow. They had to stop play, um, replace the white ball with a with a, a visibility ball. Um, but the, the the pressure that that Villa were putting Reading under eventually paid off. Um, the ninety first minute, Mano Iwabuchi turned provider, playing the ball from the left into Shania Hales, who held the ball up well before playing it back to the Japanese international, who somehow managed to dart past two defenders before playing the ball into a central position for Diana Silva to poke at goal. Uh, her shot trickled past Maloney and and into the Reading net. Um, 
just before the end of the game as well, Shawnee Hales had the opportunity to win all three points, which you know would have been absolutely amazing. A great comeback if that had happened. Um, she broke behind the Reading women line, but a shot beat the Reading keeper and the post as it trickled wide before the offside Diana Silva collected the ball. How great is it to see Iwabuchi having such an impact on her on her full league debut? You know, she'd made appearances in the Cup and League before this, but it was excellent across the full 90, despite the evident poor conditions. Yeah, it, it just makes you feel excited about the team again. And I think that's what she was brought in for, you know, to just to bring that instant excitement, that instant impact. Um, being a January signing, I think we were looking for somebody that didn't really need that warming up and that adjusting to the league. Um, I think it was, was it Luca that mentioned that that's what they saw in her, that she could dart through um, defenders and, and she was agile, she's quick and she brings that to the team. And we saw that in, in her assist at the end. Um, I just let myself forget about her short time on the pitch against Man City. And I was so looking forward to this first start for her in the league against Reading as well, which are obviously a strong side, but less intimidating than City and somebody that I would have hoped that would take a point from. And she didn't disappoint. Her first contribution was definitely a joint effort, um, the the free kick that we mentioned. Um, And I just think it shows that the players, they must have been on the same wavelength because that run from her was timed perfectly to slot that ball away, Um, whether it's something they'd been practising um, or whether that it's just that chemistry that's forming between her and the rest of the teammates. And hopefully it, it means that she'll, she'll bring out the best in them as well. How happy were yeah, you absolutely. then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, how happy were you with that almost a saving the day kind of performance? Yeah, I mean, she did exactly that. And she's almost, like, like you said, done what, what was expected of her to, to kind of come in and, and, and rally the troops almost. I don't think she's she's very much the, the leadership type, but she's she's done exceptionally well to kind of provo- provide that focal point that, that a team needs. Um, you know, it, it is promising that both of her contributions were, were team goals you know rather than rather than individual goals because like you said it means that she's she's fitting in and there's there's some kind of chemistry forming yeah definitely and we know that she's capable of those individual moments of brilliance um we saw that even more recently but um yeah those those team goals are something that we can build on um and they'll become like a sort of reliable um you know, form of goals. That's what you want from the team, isn't it? You don't want to just be relying on one person. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Now, in other news away from the pitch, Aston Villa Women announced that Marcus Bignot would join the club as interim manager with immediate effect. Whilst also stating that head coach Gemma Davis and the rest of the coaching team would remain in their existing positions. Uh, Aluko later clarified that Bignot would lead on much of what you would expect a manager to lead on. Uh, team selection, training, uh, game management, things like that. But also offer mentorship to Davies. Bignot is a Birmingham born coach and has has a wealth of experience in the women's game he was one of the pioneering coaches in the sport at a young age becoming manager of local rivals Birmingham City women at the age of 24 all whilst all, all whilst doing his own playing career 
He remained in the position at Birmingham City for several years and whilst at the club he revamped their youth structure, uh, achieved promotion to the top flight of women's football at the time, the uh, FA Women's Premier League National Division and he he also has experience in coaching um, and management in the men's game. You know, his resume includes clubs like Solihull Moors, Grimsby Town, Barrow, Chester and he's currently joint coach at Goisley. Now, being not managed to the Birmingham City Women whilst playing for the likes of Crew, um, Crew Alexandra, Queen's Park Rangers, Bristol Rovers, and Russian and Diamonds, and he would have been managing a, a young Enia Luko during her first spell at Birmingham. It's easy to kind of look at the fact that he's uh, he's a blue and he is a Blues fan, but what are your thoughts on Big Nuts' arrival? It seems a little out of the blue and almost like the cup club aren't confident in the current staff to keep Villa in the WSL I think I had the same initial reaction as a lot of other fans which was surprised Uh, the role I think they announced it as he's come in as interim manager um, which did throw me a bit through a lot of us it it seems like um, on Twitter you know but it sounds like he might be sort of working alongside Gemma Davies She's, she's still got her role as head coach um, which is comforting. Um, but like you said, it, it's sort of been revealed that he will be doing a lot of the jobs that we'd expect her to be doing. Um, and I really like Davies. I think she did a brilliant job last season, as we all know. And it was always going to be tough at, as the promoted side. Um, you know, and in the Super League, there's there's just that one promoted side, isn't there? Um, it's only us going through that challenge of stepping up. And um, yeah, survival was the main objective for me. And then every other point we pick up is like a bonus. Um, but maybe this new arrival indicates that the aims of the club are a bit higher than that. And maybe we want to be pushing for mid-table, which isn't out of reach at all, to be honest, considering how tight things are in that sort of bottom half of the table. Um, but I can I can see why there was a bit of a mixed reaction from people at first. Um, you know he's he's so involved all the post-match interviews I've seen recently have been from him rather than Davies which does sort of make you wonder what's going on but um, yeah what, what are your thoughts on it are you sort of happy that someone else is going to be pulling the strings mixing things up a bit or are you a Davies fan like me I'm, I mean I'm a big fan of Davies and I think even f- f- Fans that don't follow the Villa women know that she's she's this young, talented coach with with a lot of uh, a lot of success ahead of her, and you know a, a great future ahead of her. Um, it, but it is an interesting appointment. It makes me feel like they're not confident in in her to be able to to keep us in the league, and it's almost like. Um, a stopgap to 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 keep us in the league and get a bit of mentoring under uh, under Gemma's belt and then and then kind of see how she does next year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know Big Not gets us to finish mid table and he takes on the role full time. But I think I think a lot of people would be disappointed in that personally. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's when you get promoted, everyone just gets attached to that manager, that team. That goalkeeper, like we mentioned earlier, um, you know, we we made history last season and um, she was such a big part of that. So it it would be hard to to see her go and see her replaced by this sort of giant with so much experience when we we had someone that was more, you know, authentic and fresh and and just, I don't know, she just 
she's got a lot of heart, you know, and, and people could see that. So, um, yeah, I would love to see her, um, you know, work with Big Knot and, and sort of cement us in the league and then take over again next year. But um, who knows what their plans are. It, it was all a little bit vague, I thought. So I guess we'll just have to sort of see where we end up and what decisions they make at the end of the season. Yeah, it was absolutely vague and, you know, you, like you say, it confused a lot of us. Um, now, now, Villa Women ended the month and unfortunately this is this is our last topic of conversation so we're ending the podcast on a, on, on a kind of down note as well. But Villa ended the month with a 4-0 loss to Chelsea Women at home. Uh, the Blues broke a record of 32 WSL games unbeaten and, and you know, in his first game in charge, Big Knot made his voice heard clear and there was constant communication from the touchline instructing players throughout the whole 90 minutes. But it was it, it was a better performance from Villa, you know, despite the scoreline, it was a strong performance and, and Big Knot came in and said he was he was happy with it and almost a bit Steve Bruce, he said it, there, were, there were encouraging signs in there. But, you know, it, it was another game in which Villa conceded early on and then struggled to get into the game from there. You've recently published an article in, in which you think this is a trend that needs to kind of be nipped in the bud. Uh, or it could obviously have a, a perilous effect on the club, i.e. relegation. Talk, talk us through that article and, and, and the conceding early. It's a, it's a pretty miserable pattern that we'd, we'd fallen into um, this past month, which I think, um, you know, I'd like to think we've, we've seen the end of. Um, we've conceded within the first five minutes of all three league games in January. So, it yeah, it's disappointing and it's sort of worse because it feels so unnecessary. Um, and it had almost reached a point where, you know, I'd accepted that the game was going to start from us being behind. You know, like... you sort of see a game and think yeah you know we're starting from the back foot already even before it started and as a fan that's just not what you want to be predicting from your team so yeah like you said I wrote an article where I looked at those goals in more detail to try and see where that problem is coming from and if I'm honest there, there was no real common denominator so um, I'd never go out looking for someone to blame but I was surprised to realise that it was quite varied mistakes that had been costing us recently so there was um a couple of poor clearances that got blocked um one game came one goal came from a saved shot that was put in on the rebound and then in the man city game it just looked like no one had fully woken up and they just slipped through everyone so yeah it makes it a bit more difficult to combat this issue and makes me wonder whether it might be a mentality thing whether we need to switch on a bit earlier or it could be maybe just a, a sharpness issue, you know, with so many games being postponed and rescheduled due to COVID and, um, you know, waterlogged pitches. But what do you think? Do you do you think that's um, something that they're going to cut out in, in by, I don't know, sharpness? Or do you think it's like a mentality thing? I think it could be a bit of both, to be honest, but um, not sure. I think that the... the- Big knot is 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 going to be a big change in the mentality, um, and I think I think that's just because he's more experienced than Davies, and I think you know it's almost like if you've got a brand new teacher at school, um, you know you're going to rip rip the shit out of them. You know what I mean? Like they're 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 inexperienced. That you're gonna. I'm not saying that the players rip the shit out of Gemma Davies by any means, but 
it's almost like you know you've got this new teacher you've got this inexperienced teacher that that is really good at what they do um you know you're really fond of this teacher but at the same time you've got the more experienced teacher that that takes the lesson uh twice a week and, and for him it's completely different because he's more experienced he's more stern um and and it could be the case where he's just going to implement this mentality of 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 i i, I can't help but feel like that they're fearful or were fearful um in january and, and and in other stages of this season and they're just kind of scared and and once it happens then then it all kind of crumbles but I, I think that's the key thing to to shore up is the mentality. I think the sharpness will will come uh, with more games that that don't get postponed. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a it's a mentality thing to combat this issue. And I think you know, like we said with with the opening game of February, we we've seen that something is working um, because we got a positive result from it. Yeah, definitely, and not one that we had to fight back from 1-0 to achieve as well you know a, a clean sheet is is unbelievable and I'm really looking forward to um analyzing that game and having a chat about it um next month so yeah it's nice that we can end on sort of looking towards a positive February and hopefully a few more results will come in for us the table's definitely looking a lot more healthy for us at the moment, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking a bit of February as well. You know, it started off well. Um, let's hope it continues that way. Uh, but like we said, we'll, we'll cover the, the February games and news uh, towards the end of the month. So it'll be late February, early March when the next women's podcast comes out. But I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast or this month's podcast rather. Uh, if you have enjoyed it, please do leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, make sure you follow or subscribe. You know, it, it obviously depends on what platform you are listening on. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Facebook forward slash under a gaslit lamp, and on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the Villa women.